Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Mistress Mia's Dungeon. I'm your hostess, Mistress Mia, and this is Mistress Mia's Bedtime Stories. Today I bring you part two of Escape from Dominatrix Island, written by Christopher D.B. on Literarotica.com. And it begins, Launching the watercraft was clumsy, and I nearly fell into the churning wake behind the yacht. I waited until it pulled away before daring to start the engine, concerned that someone else might be wandering the decks and hear the noise. It had been years since I had ridden one of those machines, and I rolled groggily in the waves until I could figure out how to start the engine. I was horrified to see that the fuel gauge showed the tank was nearly empty. I nudged the throttle and turned towards the lighthouse. Running at a modest speed in hopes of conserving fuel, it seemed to take forever to get towards the island. I realized that in my haste to make an escape, I had forgotten to pull on a life jacket, even though there had been several hanging near the launch ramp. A gas can was probably close by in a locker, and I cursed myself for not taking a minute to think my escape plan through before shoving off. As I got closer to land, I saw that the lighthouse was located quite a ways off from the white lights, which I assumed were houses or buildings, and I veered off towards them. The early morning was still dark with clouds, and it was difficult to make out much detail of the shoreline, which appeared to be nothing but high, rocky cliffs. The gas gauge was hovering over the empty mark, and the waves grew more and more intense as I neared land. I was scanning the base of the cliffs for any sign of a beach or any place to land safely when the jet ski hit something on the bottom, nearly throwing me off the handlebars. In the dim morning light, I saw the tops of jagged rocks momentarily exposed when the waves subsided. Too far from shore to swim in the surf and in the rocks, I desperately tried to get the watercraft turned around and back out to deeper water. I was successful after smashing the bottom of the machine into a few more rocks, which made an awful grinding sound on the fiberglass hull. Running parallel to land, and what I thought was safe water, the engine coughed a few times but kept running. The gas gauge was below the empty mark now, but what concerned me even more was that the jet ski seemed to be riding lower in the water, wallowing any time I tried to steer and avoid the main force of the waves. I thought I noticed a break in the cliffs, though. It seemed there might be a path to the top of maybe perhaps a dry waterfall. I spotted what looked like a thin strip of shoreline at the base of the cliffs, so I turned in towards land and the jet ski nearly rolled off onto its side. The engine coughed once, but sprang to life as I punched the throttle. There was a hint of sunlight now, and I managed to dodge some underwater rocks. I blasted the little electric horn. If anyone was up on the cliffs, I wanted them to at least know I was approaching. Just in case there was no way for me to climb up from the shore, I leaned back as far as I could to keep the nose of the ski watercraft out of the water. The engine sputtering badly, and suddenly I was flung off the machine into the churning turf. Dazed, disoriented, I surfed and a wave crashed into my face as I tried to take a deep breath. The jet ski was nowhere to be seen now. I'm sure I had smashed the bottom or another underwater rock, and that was the final blow that caused it to sink. 
Fighting off panic, I was able to orientate myself and start swaying towards the shore. Several times, my body was tossed by the waves into jagged underwater rocks. When at last my feet could touch the bottom, I was further out from shore than what I had expected. I cursed myself for not having worn shoes as I tried to walk carefully on the rocky bottom, waves periodically knocking me off my feet. It felt like I was walking miles before I painfully stepped onto the shore, which was a narrow strip of small, sharp rocks at the base of the cliffs. Sitting down on a large boulder to rest, I realized that at one time it had fallen down from the rocky face from above. Another boulder could fall at any time, but I didn't care. There were bloody cuts and gashes all over my arms and legs from being slammed against the underwater rocks, and my feet were sore and lightly bleeding from numerous small cuts. I pulled off my soggy wet bathrobe using a sharp edge of the boulder. I was able to cut through the hem of the robe and tear it into wide strips. I used those to wrap my injured feet. I improvised bandages, but also it was protection against the rocks as it looked like I would be walking along the rocky shoreline after I rested for a while. Later, as I was slowly picked and made my way through the narrow shore, I hoped that I was heading in the right direction towards the gap in the cliffs that I had seen from out on the water. Up close, all I could see was the nearly vertical rock face in both directions. Then I spotted three people approaching along the shore. From the way they were dressed, I assumed they were a security patrol of some kind. Most surprisingly, all three were women. They wore what looked like leather motorcycle jackets. Two of them wore black. The third woman had a shiny silver metallic one that gleamed brightly under the sun. All of them wore black leather shorts, black rubber knee-high boots with flat heels like a horseman might wear. The woman in silver was out in front, though. She was middle-aged and the oldest of the trio, her long dark hair pulled back in a thick ponytail. She appeared to be the leader and had three black stripes on one sleeve of her jacket. She held up one hand as if to command me to stop walking towards them and called out to me in a language that I didn't understand. I tried to speak to them, but they didn't understand me. The woman in charge pulled a pistol from the holster in her belt. It looked like some Russian gun. I had no use in my job for guns, but most of my co-workers carried them. A few were gun fanatics, and I know that they would have some type of interest in this Russian pistol at one time or another. I stopped walking towards them and held up my hands. The group of ladies stood a very comfortable distance away from me. After the woman in charge had tried to talk to me in what I think was several different languages, none of which I understood, she removed a large walkie-talkie from her belt with her free hand, and it looked like a piece of military equipment several decades old. I assumed she was reporting in to someone, and what sounded like a female voice responding, they conversed for only a short time. Clipping the walkie-talkie back on her belt, she gave orders to the two other women. They approached me. One was a blonde, and the other had auburn hair. Each had a single stripe of silver on the sleeves of their jackets. They were both very attractive, but they had a cold and aloof attitude. They roughly removed the remains of my torn bathrobe, checked the pockets of my sweatpants, and patted me down like police officers might do. One of the ladies took a pair of shiny handcuffs, which had been hanging on her belt. 
She cuffed my hands in front of me. She said a word I didn't understand and pulled me towards a small boulder a few steps away. I assumed she wanted me to sit on it, so I did. Satisfied that I was detained for the moment, the woman in charge holstered her pistol, but remained at a distance. The two other women stood closer to me now. One pulled out a pack of cigarettes, looked like some foreign brand, from a pocket in her jacket. She handed one to her co-worker and took one for herself. After they both lit cigarettes, and as the one lady was ready to put the pack away, she turned to look at me, holding up the pack of smokes as if to offer me one. I only smoke on occasion, but it seemed like we would be waiting there for a bit, so I nodded yes. She handed me the cigarette from her lips and then lit a fresh smoke for herself. That would be the only gesture of kindness that I would receive from the ladies who dressed all in black. We waited there for what seemed like a long time, the woman in charge periodically speaking with someone on her walkie-talkie. They all spoke with a heavy accent, which to me sounded Eastern European. Although I thought they might be Russian, since the one lady carried a, you know, Russian pistol. Then a second patrol showed up. After another group of three women, they all came from the same direction that I had. As with the original three I had met, they were two younger women dressed all in black leather, while a slightly older one wore a jacket of silver leather, but she had only two stripes on the sleeve. She also wore a, um, an unusual gun and had a two-way radio on her belt as well. The two women in silver spoke for a while very quietly. The new ladies in black leather eyed me with a suspicion. The second woman in the silver jacket spoke to me, probably in a few languages. I can't understand you, I said with disgust. You understand now? She suddenly asked. How many others are with you? She demanded. I'm alone, I told her, though she didn't seem to believe me. No other comrades, amigos, companions, she asked with an accusing tone. I rode here from a yacht on a jet ski. I crashed on the rocks. The two women in charge conferred with their foreign language. The ladies in black leather, who had also been casually smoking cigarettes, now backed away from me slightly, suddenly now on guard. This um, jet ski, is it a small vessel? The jet ski? It's a... A uh, small watercraft? <laughs> you ride it like a motorcycle, like like a motorbike. I held up my cuffed wrists and hands as if they were handlebars. After the women in silver conferred with each other, they spoke to their assistants who had then tossed down their cigarettes and circled around me. We see no wreckage of your craft. You come with us, the women told me hostily. I was taken away and along the narrow shoreline in the direction I had been heading, one of the ladies with the silver jacket took the lead, while the second one brought up the rear. I was in the center of the group and surrounded by the women in black leather. While I'm sure that they could see that my feet were injured, they hustled me along at a brisk pace. We eventually reached a gap between the two cliffs. It may have been the same one that I saw when riding towards the shore. Here, a wide channel wound its way down from above with a small stream of water splashing through it. On one side of the channel, there was a steep and narrow trail, sometimes with um, steps that were cut into the rocks, oddly enough. 
As we made our way into the trail in a single file, I had a nice view of one lady's ass, seemingly molded with perfection into her tight black leather shorts. All the women gave the impression of a military operation. The clothing that they wore, it seemed to have a fetish quality about it, a dominatrix look. I know that some men are really turned on by that fantasy, but it never did anything for me. Regardless of these women and who they were, I was hoping they could get me to an airport or some transportation that could get me to an airport. I could make a few phone calls, get some money wired, and buy a plane ticket to get home. Of course, I would still be on bad terms with my employer, but once home, I could pack up my things, maybe get some money out of the bank, and lay low for a while. There was the chance that I might have to live the rest of my life in obscurity, hiding out from the organization I worked for, but I was hopeful that it wouldn't happen. At the top of the cliff, what looked like a medieval castle or old stone fortress, it loomed above us. We entered through a dimly lit tunnel where the stone ceiling arched high overhead and I was taken to a room that seemed to be their medical infirmary, though all the equipment looked really old. They didn't remove my handcuffs and instead began to cut my clothing away from my body with medical scissors. They were not gentle about it and forced me down on a cold metal table. One of them began ripping the improvised bandages from my feet. I struggled and cried out, Be still! Medical check! The woman who spoke English explained. One of the women in black leather took large wads of cotton and long stainless steel clamps, soaking the cotton in some stinky orange fluid that I assumed was antiseptic. She roughly scrubbed the cuts on my feet and limbs. It burned so badly that I screamed out loud, and when I tried to get up, the women surrounded me and restrained me to the table with wide leather straps. One of them was shining a flashlight in my teary eyes, while the other was looking in my ears. The women abruptly stood at attention as another lady walked into the room. She was a tall, older woman with long blonde hair and elaborate braids, dressed in what looked like a military jumpsuit of form-fitting silver leather, with matching thigh-high boots that laced up the front, and had tall spiked heels that clicked loudly on the floor as she walked into the room with clam authority. One sleeve of her jumpsuit was decorated with numerous wide black stripes and elaborate crest of insignia at the top. The women stepped back as they walked slowly around the table where I was bound. While she was clearly in charge, I noticed that she was the only one who had a radio in her belt, and she wasn't carrying a pistol. Smoothly reaching out to one of her pockets, she pulled out a cigarette case and lit a smoke from a small chrome lighter. She spoke for a while in a foreign language with the women in the silver jacket, which was apparently the only one that spoke English. There were long, awkward pauses. When she just stood there, smoking, she looked over me. The tall blonde picked up one of my hands and examined it closely and then checked the other, softly making comments to the other woman. Then she poked at my belly and squeezed my soft biceps and made some comment that the other women laughed at. As she was slightly tucking up my hair, I asked the woman who spoke English what was being said. She says it is unlikely you're an operator, I was told. Operator? What do you mean? 
I asked, but the woman who appeared to be in charge calmly held up one hand as if to tell the others to be silent. She spoke calmly to the group for a few moments and then left the room, high heels echoing off down the corridor. What's going on? I asked, my voice wavering nervously. We finish medical, the woman in the silver jacket told me. Then we have many questions for you. Once they were done with the painful first aid treatment, I was secured to the table with more straps. The group of women left the room. Only two of the ladies dressed in black leather, and they stayed outside the door, presumably by standing guard. When the others had been gone for a while, there was no longer anyone there, except for the woman who was in the black leather shorts and the black plain jacket. She started smoking cigarettes while talking casually, paying no attention to me. It seemed as if I was not even there. I didn't understand her language anyway. Later in the day, I was released from the table, but I was put in heavy chains and shackles, and I was allowed to wash and use the toilet, but was not given any clothes. Then I was escorted by a large group of female guards in black leather. They took me to a large room with windows overlooking the ocean. A sturdy wooden table was in the center of the room with what looked like a comfortable office chair behind it. I was roughly sat down on a low, cold metal stool on the other side of the table. The woman who spoke English walked into the room. She had also changed her boots and now wore a thigh-high pair of black leather with tiny spiky heels. The pistol and the two-way radio were no longer on her belt. She carried several old-looking binder notebooks, an olive drab, and a fountain pen along with a bottle of ink. I am Anastasia, she said, as she extended one hand. We were not properly introduced. Her handshake was firm, and I told her my name. I have many questions for you. I ask nicely, so you answer. Sometimes we take breaks. You want a cigarette? Then you smoke, she said, removing a pair of cigarettes and a lighter from her pocket of her jacket and setting them on the table. All very friendly. The door to the room had been left open. I was pretty sure a few guards were standing outside, and then I heard the sound of high-heeled boots approaching again slowly. I turned around to see the tall blonde woman, all dressed in silver, with what must be a high-rank display on the sleeve of her jumpsuit. Leaning against the doorframe, she calmly blew a puff of smoke from her cigarette and nodded towards Anastasia. You look to me. I will ask questions, Anastasia said firmly. Anastasia first asked me how I'd come to be here at this place they called the Citadel. She took plenty of notes in one of her binder books, writing surprisingly fast, despite having to repeatedly dip her fountain pen in the bottle of ink. After I told her my story, I said, listen, I just want to get to an airport, get some money wired, and fly back home. I can pay you for the inconvenience. Then, as an afterthought, I asked, could I please at least have some clothes on or a robe or something you stay naked 
It ensures truth, Anastasia explained. We're on a private island, no airport or regular transport by sea. There has to be some sort of way to contact the outside world. You must have a radio or maybe a satellite phone, I asked. You know how to use a satellite phone? <laughs> she asked, her sudden interest peaked. Not normal communications device like cellular phone. Have you served in the military force of any kind? I told her that I hadn't, but that had only made her suspicious, and she pointed out how I improvised bandages for my robe after making it sure. Perhaps you spent some time with informal militia, armed religious groups, or scouting, she asked with suspicion. I let out a huff of laughter when she mentioned scouts, and Anastasia abruptly cut me off. Scouts teach honor and other good skills. Firearms training for those who want it, she said with emphasis. Many grew up to be fine men. No, you were not a scout, she said. Grown scout would have checked gasoline and put on a float vest before leaving private vessel for Ireland. Departure delay, yes, but increased chance of mission success. Someone loudly cleared her throat from behind me. It was the tall blonde woman. She spoke softly to Anastasia in her language. We do not judge, Anastasia told me flatly with a scowl. Then she turned to some other section in her binder and asked me a bunch of technical questions about electronics that I couldn't answer. Anastasia also wanted to know what sort of communications gear was on the yacht that I'd been traveling on. And I didn't know other than that cell phone. It didn't work most of the time. You didn't go to a wheelhouse, she asked with disbelief. On private vessel in commonplace, men like to see helm station and radar screens. Crew like to brag about electronics, but you have no interest. She then opened one of the binders and showed me a picture with a bunch of colored lines and symbols and said, this is a wiring diagram of simple time delay detonator. You have 10 seconds before explosion, so what wire do you to cut to save your life? I don't know. The red one? <laughs> when she asked me why I chose red, I admitted it was a guess. Life or death situation, you take a guess, she said with disgust. That was when the tall woman, who seemed to be in charge, again cleared her throat behind me. She approached the table and spoke softly to Anastasia, picking up one of my shackled wrists and showing my hand to her. Then she pointed roughly at my body and made what sounded like condescending remarks in her foreign language. The two women seemed to argue, although they kept it civil, Anastasia's tone of voice always respectful but defiant. Did private vessel have surface drives or normal propulsion? Anastasia asked, and I told her I didn't know. Once again, she was annoyed. Did not ask to see engine room? The way man that does not use spanner will ask to look under a bonnet of sports car because it's interesting or maybe pleasing to see. The women in charge said some final words for her and then she walked back into the doorway when I heard her light a cigarette. Anastasia took several sheets of blank paper from one of the binders, set them in front of me along with the fountain pen. Draw a picture of private vessel and small craft you wrecked on the island. 
as much detail as possible, she instructed. And then she got up from the table, walked out of the room. Looking over my shoulder, the woman in the silver jumpsuit stood in the doorway. The expression on her face was difficult to read. I could also see that there were guards in black leather jackets standing on either side of the doorway. The fountain pen was awkward to use my shackles, and they certainly didn't help. My sketches of the yachts and um, jet ski were crude and sloppy with blotches of ink. Anastasia returned and looked at them intently. Large open deck at rear of Vestal. Was there a large circle on deck with a letter H? She asked, pointing at my drawing. A chopper pad? No. I said Anastasia seemed to be intrigued that I knew what was a landing pad for a helicopter. But I think that's a pretty common thing to know. Was the equipment for diving scuba on board? She asked. And I told her I didn't see any, but it was a really large boat, and it seemed to annoy her that I used the word boat. Once again, she was taking a bunch of notes and asked what weapons were on board. I'd only seen a few guys with pistols, but that was a normal thing with my co-workers. Who makes best assault rifle? She demanded to know. I've never heard of whatever. What kind of assault rifle? I don't know, I said with frustration. You know AK-47 and M-16? She asked. And of course I had, but those were popular guns. AK-47? I don't know. M-16 is a cult. She said as if making an important point. I heard the woman behind me clearly, loudly even, clear her throat again. And I thought I saw Anastasia glare at her for a moment. Then she began to take a large group of papers from the binders and set them in front of me. You will completely battery test. Skip question. If you do not understand, food and water will not be brought unless you answer me. As well as adding machine for mathematics tests, you need a toilet. It is there. She pointed to a wooden bucket in the corner with a lid on it. On top of the lid was what looked like a stack of toilet paper sheets instead of a normal roll. Anastasia picked up her binders and notes and walked out of the room. She walked off down the hallway from the tall woman who seemed to be in charge, but now several other women in black leather stood outside the door. A few were standing out of tension while others leaned against the wall and smoked cigarettes. I didn't know if I had accidentally wound up at some sort of secret Cold War era military base or what. Looking through the test material, it looked like it had been printed on some old ditto machine, like tests I had taken in grade school. Thankfully, it was all printed in English, but it looked difficult. A short time later, two guards in black leather walked in. One carried a metal tray with compartments like what you see in prison movies. There was a large helping of gruel and some sort of small loaf of dark bread. They left a tall glass of water, along with a mug that contained some type of steaming hot broth. Then one guard came into the table with a large old calculator, the kind that had a big LED display. The food was bland, but the broth was amazing. It warmed my body, which was still chilled from having sitting on that cold metal stool for what seemed like hours. 
i was only briefly interrupted by anastasia who came into the room and placed several more blank sheets of paper on the table you draw a picture of private vessel and small scooter craft again show more detail on private vessel and list color of hull and topside show all radio aerials radar scanners any other thing you can remember even if not know what it is my mind was worn down at this point and i lost my cool I told her it was just some big generic yacht like you see on some large marina or on TV shows. Standing up, rattling my chains, I said she couldn't keep me as a prisoner. And I just wanted to go home. My raised tone of voice got the attention of the guards outside of the room, and they quickly came in and roughly forced me down onto the stool again. Anastasia had remained calmly through my outburst. You are not prisoner here, she said calmly. You are detained because you arrived without invitation, under suspicious circumstance. I asked you nicely, so you draw picture. Your people are criminals. You know you're missing as well as a scooter. Maybe turn around and come look for you, she explained. If large vessels spotted on horizon, we want to know if it is your people. If they try to make landing here, we will turn them away by force if needed, which is why I ask about weapons. Not make hostage ransom game with you because their intentions are bad. If all is if you say this, Anastasia added with a note of suspicion. Before leaving the room, Anastasia told me they still hadn't found any wreckage of the jet ski. So she needed more detailed drawing. An overhead view, front, back, sides, showing all stripes and stuff, labeling colors. I told her if it was probably smashed to bits by now. Washed out to sea, it would never be found. You are not first man to crash here on rocks. We always find wreckage, she said, and walked out of the room. The battery of tests, as Anastasia called it, started off like a college entrance exam. None of it was multiple choices, and I had to write the answers as neatly as I could with that old fountain pen. I might have done okay for some of it, but there was a ton of advanced stuff that I just had to skip over. Other sections of the test were probably psychological, and maybe some of it was determined my IQ. Oddly enough, there was a large section that had a lot of questions about my sexual experiences and fantasies. There were extensive questions about BDSM and if I liked to be flogged or paddled, and I answered no to all of that stuff. Anastasia periodically walked in and collected portions I had completed. The testing was mentally draining and also demoralizing. There were so many questions and I couldn't answer them all. As far as all this kinky sex stuff, I'm just a regular guy that likes to get laid and have his cock sucked, and not much more than that. When at last I was completed... Anastasia sat down across the table from me, her written notes in hand. So you are Mr. Van. For many years, you were employed to do office work for criminals. Several days ago, you board some private vessel capable of crossing an ocean, but you don't pay attention to the name of the vessel. You only have interest in liquor and whores and do not ask destination or length of voyage. And you spend most of the time in the cabin drunk in bed with a whore she said with a strong tone of disapproval. Crew member confides you 
with this life endangerment and you see an island make an escape on this jet ski as you call small scooter-like craft and you do not bring whore with you? Do you not bring comrade who warns you just to try to save yourself? You crash into rocks near island, make bandages because you say it's obvious and you find my patrol in the morning. You slam into the rocks. Is this your story? You leave anything out we need to know? Best to tell me now. That's the story, I told her. I know my tone sounded apologetic. You don't have to make it sound so bad. We are finished with questions today, Anastasia told me. You've been a much inconvenience to us, so before you're taken to night quarters, you will be given a task. And this concludes the episode of Mistress Mia's Dungeon. Please tune in to next Friday and make all your fantasies become a reality.